Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock, and all month long, we are caring for our communities. Yes, we're taking those moments to slow down, look around, and be very conscious of how we each individually, collectively, as a world, can help our communities to thrive and flourish. My guest today is actually a two-time guest now. Uh, I had so much fun talking to him for part of our uh, Pack Your Bag series in June that I said, let's come back and talk a little bit more about what it really means to be a part of community. So let's get to know him a little bit better. So Jeff Raisley's commitment to social activism began kind of early. He was in high school. And at that time, he co-founded a group called the Goshen Walk for Hunger. So he's got a passion for this. He went to law school and fought for renters' rights. He organized the first rent strike in Indiana as president of Indianapolis Tenants Association. He was in as a young lawyer and said, hmm, what else can I do? You know, I need to keep helping my community. So he founded free legal clinics at two inner city churches in Indy and was lead counsel on class action suits for prisoners, which resulted in the construction of two new jails in central Indiana. So talk about somebody who's looking around, making sure that he's a part of what's going on. Let's just add to that. He spent five days working for NOLA Habitat for Humanity after Katrina. He was plaintiff in a class action uh, suit requiring cleanup of the White River after it was polluted by an industrial chemical spill. And if that wasn't enough, he and his wife, uh, they created an internship program called the Jeff and Alicia Raisley Internship Program, created for the ACLU of Indiana in 2020. I think he just has, you know, he's sitting around doing nothing. Obviously, he just doesn't have enough time on his hands. But what we really talked about, and this will just be one component of what we talk about, but what we talked about when I interviewed him for the Pack Your Bag series was something that I didn't even expect to find out about. And it was just amazing. He's the founder of a group called the Base of Village Foundation, which funds culturally sensitive development in Nepal. And this was something that he found out by, you know, going to one of those places, you know, with that big, big mountain, you know, I'll know what I'm talking about. And not only having that experience in his life, but learning about the people and the culture that are, were surrounding him when he was there on that journey. So we're going to dive deeper into everything community-based with my friend, Jeff. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us again. Well, thanks a lot for having me, Michael. I, I really appreciate you asking me back. That's so good. And your bio, I can't even read your whole bio because there's just so much, but everything that you do, everything you stand for is really rooted in this sense of caring for your community, whether it's the community you live in, the community that's a part of your community or a community that you visit. So tell me a little bit more, let's talk about this and dive into this. What gave you such passion, even from an early age in high school to really caring about your community in, in this kind of depth? Yeah, um, 
I think <laughs> it probably goes back uh, into my family tree. Um, I grew up in a, a town, uh, Goshen, Indiana, that my ancestors were early settlers of. And uh, my great-great-grandfather, who had the delightful name of Valentine Berkey, uh, owned uh, a lot of land in the area and which was uh, came to be about a third of the city of Goshen. And so because I felt so rooted in that community, my ancestors had just been very involved in it for generations, um, I, it, it was uh, deeply a part of me. I felt deeply a part of it. And um, so I, you know, from an early age, I just felt involved with that community. And um, I think that sense of being um, part of a community and really feeling part of a community also made me feel a sense of responsibility to it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, community goes two ways. So if you feel embedded in a community, you want to give back to it, uh, mm. but you also have certain expectations of it that right. it's going to be there for you as well. And growing up, I, I certainly felt that way. Yeah. And that's a really, I, I love the fact that you say, you know, I mean, look, we have family history here, which would tie anybody to it. There's, there's actually a, uh, a road in my hometown, Spokane, Washington, in a park that was named after my grandfather's family. And every time I go by it, I'm like, ah, oh, there's Grandpa Sullivan's, you know, family park, whatever. But it's, but you don't have to have that kind of family tie to still have a tie to your community. And when you do have a sense of, of being proud of it, being a part of it, you do, you, you don't only feel that pride, but you do want to keep it strong and keep it healthy and give back and keep it going. I think that's, that's a beautiful way to put it as community goes two ways. Yeah. Um, and of course, one of the aspects of our um, modern culture is people don't stay in their home communities. Mm -hmm. yep. I, I mean, my, my brother and I were the last, well, actually his daughter for a few years were the last of our family tree to live in Goshen, Indiana. We've all left. So mm. that is broken. And that's so common uh, yeah. among Americans and people living in all the development countries now. Um, one of the, the beautiful things that I experienced about Bassa Village over in Nepal, where, where I've been working with the Bassa Foundation now for uh, a number of years is it reminded me um, so much of small town uh, in the Midwest. I mean, it was very, very different. I mean, the culture is very different, but what was so delightful that I experienced is I could turn to uh, someone in Bassa and say, hey, tell me about that family over there. And every villager could relate the family history of every other multiple generations back because oh, yeah. they were so rooted in their community and the, the, the families that live there, the uh, 80 some um, families that lived in the village and surrounding the village, you know, had been there forever. Um, yeah. And, you know, we've lost that. And so now what we living in the developed world really have to do is we have to be very conscientious 
about developing community and supporting community because it, we don't have that organic embeddedness that we have, that traditional communities have. Yeah, and that's a really great point. And I remember when we were speaking before, we talked about when you talk about in Basa doing culturally sensitive development, you know, you were talking about things like we're, we're not just going to come in and, you know, build something brand new and fancy or, you know, give them 5G internet because that's not conducive to their lifestyle or where they are or being culturally sensitive to the way that the people there live. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that was fascinating to me. And I think the lessons apply not only there, but they do apply to other places, other communities as well, to try and maintain the heart of a community while also keeping it current or helping it to progress. Yeah, and, and community leadership is so important in this respect. So for example, the so we, uh, we did a, com a computer project for the school, the village school, and I sort of assumed that there would be eventually internet for the, the school and the students and so forth. And what was really interesting is after they got the computers, the teachers had a meeting and they decided that they would not get internet um, for the school because they knew they were aware because they had been educated in Kathmandu or in cities mm -hmm. that um, th there would be things that the kids might be exposed to that they really didn't think would be good for the kids. And so ah. they made this decision. Now, people, I suppose, could argue about whether that's right or not, but it goes to your point about how you need to be sensitive about what is right for your community. And when right. you have an established culture, you're really taking risks when you start, you know, changing really fundamental uh, experiences for people in the community and especially for children. Right. Absolutely. Because, and you're right. I mean, people could listen to this and say, well, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you bring them into the 21st century? But it's really not that question. The question is what does that community want and why what's important to them and why, and how do you help them where they need to be helped? But don't impose your belief system or your definition of progress on a on a, a community that doesn't want it or isn't ready for it. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that that's you. You just encapsulated the theme um, of the first book that I wrote about uh, Basa Village, and uh, you said it very well. <laughs> well, look, it's almost like I know the whole story. <laughs> I kind of feel like I do by now. Well, and talk about that a little bit. What made you want to write a book about it? Well, it was such, um, experiencing the village was such an uh, amazing thing for me. I mean, climbing big mountains in the Himalayas, really cool, <laughs> uh, exhilarating, sense of great accomplishment. But that that didn't compare to what it felt like to be welcomed into that village because the, the first time I went there, which was in 2008, um, we had completed the first project, which was to raise money to expand the school uh, mm -hmm. from just three grades to having a fourth and fifth grade. And the, the entire village was waiting uh, with flowers. 
and mm -hmm. the two other people that that came with me to the village the three of us were literally just covered completely covered <laughs> in flowers and that was just the start of their welcome i mean they were just a sense of gratitude from this entire village was so moving and then to, to get to know the people and to you know share meals and drinks and party and sing and dance with them and and feel like uh you know i was really invited into the community and then after that you know they they call me uh the big brother or the godfather um, <laughs> which i don't really deserve because it's been a you know an effort of a lot of people i just yeah. started it but um and and you know and learning how in this you know the 21st century that there is still this community that was so well integrated and and the people were you know i mean just this sense of love for each other and care for each other and how they looked out for each other if somebody was sick or you know had a broken leg or something like that that the their neighbors took care of their fields and there were orphans uh in the village and the the headmaster had mistress of the school um all the orphans lived with her I mean, she oh, was wow. raising all these these other kids, and and she had her own, um, and that's just, yeah. I mean, who would in our in our world who would do that? Uh, right. They they that's the way they were without thinking, because it was just the sense of community was so ingrained, and you know, our people, our ancestors used to be like that. Yep. Absolutely. Everybody took care of each other. That the, the statement takes a village to raise a child was not uh, not just a fancy saying. No, that's right. And, you know, I, when I was a kid, I think I resented it. Because um, <laughs> everybody knew what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, especially when I was before I had my driver's license and uh, mm -hmm. my my neighbor Mabel Mills saw me take off in my mom's Corvair and uh, <laughs> turn me Oops. in. Um, so, you know, there was the downside to that is, is when you were yeah. a teenager. And I mean, I, I felt it was mostly a downside when I was a teenager, but yeah. Um, the, and, you know, now if, if you approach parents and, or, or approach kid their kids in some way where you were sort of acting like uh, a disciplinarian or even criticizing their children, you might be, you might be sued if not Absolutely. assaulted. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I, had an, I had an experience um, just uh, two summers ago, uh, we lived near a park and there were two kids and there was a father who was watching them and they were picking up the rocks which were in the bank uh, along the, the park because it's there's a it's a river park and, and the rocks are riprock to hold the bank in and they were pulling the rocks out throwing them in the river which you know kids love to do that i get yeah. it i i still like to throw rocks in the river but so i just you know very sort of nicely uh, politely said hey boys um, you really shouldn't throw those rocks because they're there to hold up the bank. And the father turned around mm. and he just started yelling at me, who don't you dare tell my kids what to do? And like, you know, I spoke in a very, you know, kind sort of gentle voice, but mm -hmm. no, I mean, that's, uh, 
I hate this phrase, that's the world we live in. <laughs> Whenever yeah. Yeah. people say things that, uh, things that they don't like. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that's the way it is. Well, and it's interesting too, because, you know, with this whole theme of caring for our communities, you know, you would hope that someone would say, oh, I didn't realize those rocks were there on purpose to hold up the riverbank. Let me help educate my children so that they are cognizant or, you know, aware of why we have these things. Um, and you're right. I mean, it, it's kind of, we see examples of it. I, I agree. I'm not going to say it's the world we live in. I'm going to say we unfortunately see lots of examples. And I remember my husband and I several summers ago, we're walking down the street in downtown Philadelphia and there's a gal um, talking to her friend and she was like eating a, she had bought a Subway kind of sandwich. And she, uh, as they're waiting for the light to change, she takes the uh, top bread off her sandwich, grabs all this, the lettuce and just picks it up and throws it on the ground and just takes off the tomatoes, the onions, everything, just throws it on the ground at the corner. Now, mind you, there's literally a garbage can two feet behind her. But I, we were just so shocked. And my husband said, why wouldn't you throw that in the garbage? You know, now he should have thought about this because it wasn't the place <laughs> to, to maybe ask it in that manner because he was a little <laughs> incredulous as we both were. And I'll tell you that gal was so angry at us and she could throw things wherever she wanted and it's her street and she pays her taxes. And, and we just walked on and I thought, don't you even care? Like there's, how can you not care about your own community enough to throw something away. But then again, I try and remember, then there's people like you with the bio you have that have taken, you know, looks at, at many different ways to help your community. All of my guests this month are so amazing. And it gives me hope <laughs> that for those examples where people are not caring for their communities, the rest of us can pick up some of the slack. <laughs> or the lettuce. Or the lettuce, <laughs> exactly. And I remember later going, why didn't she just ask it to not have lettuce on it? Like, <laughs> you're going through the line at Subway, you can clearly say no lettuce or tomatoes. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, Jeff, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor and we will be right back. Top Dog Learning Group, LLC, is a leadership, change management, and diversity inclusion consulting firm based in Orlando, Florida, but with top doggers, aka consultants, throughout North America and beyond. They focus on training programs, both virtual and face-to-face, -face, keynotes and lunch and learns, group and one-on-one -on -one coaching, and off-the-shelf solutions. One such solution is their masterclass on the top three strategies to be resilient in times of change. This thoughtful self-paced online training will guide you through three tactics you can use immediately, not just to survive, but to thrive when change comes at you. Use the code RESIL50OFF for 50% off the program. Just go to bit.ly forward slash 3A5M ls6 and enter the code resil 50 off in all capitals to redeem your 50 percent off coupon the link and code will be available in our show notes as well for easy access learn more today at topdoglearning.learningworlds.com 
And we are back with Je Jeff Raisley and uh, we are talking all things being good in our communities and caring for our communities. I know I uh, threw you off with the lettuce uh, story there. <laughs> well, I was going to say lettuce pick up where we left off. <laughs> I knew you could come up with that one. That was very good. Ah, I need that. Cheng. I need a little uh, drum, uh, <laughs> drum thing going. But, you know, I, I am impressed with how many examples in your past and present where you're really taking a look at situations that you know you can help. Um, and so what, you know, what kind of advice, what kind of, uh, you know, inspiration can you give all of us to think about what ways we can positively impact our communities? People might be listening going, well, that's great, but I'm not going to Nepal anytime soon. And, you know, I'm not going to be helping with prison reforms and new prisons being built, um, but I want to help my community in some way. What, what can people do to make a positive difference? Well, other than picking up lettuce <laughs> from the <laughs> sidewalk, but, exactly. um, I, yeah, this is something that I, I really kind of thought deeply about a couple decades ago, really. And I, I wrote an editorial that was published in a few newspapers, and um, which also then kind of led me to think even more analytically about uh, what I was doing in BASA. And, and then that <laughs> turned into a college course that I taught. But so mm -hmm. here, what I started out with when I I tried to express this in that editorial was what really works, I think, for somebody, for almost anybody, in terms of getting involved in charitable work, philanthropic work, community development, however you want to term it, term mm -hmm. it is to find something that you enjoy doing that is helpful to the community. Mm -hmm. And so, so in my case, you know, what I actually developed this term philanthro trekking. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Because I had just, you know, I had fallen in love with trekking and mountaineering in the Himalayas. And so I combined, you know, going over there on a trek or a, a, an expedition with doing some philanthropic project. And it, it started mm -hmm. out with me just taking a bunch of clothes and school supplies uh, to a, a school and an orphanage in Kathmandu. And so each time I went back, I just tried to do something a little bigger. And then I, I went from things to money to, uh, you know, developing a, uh, a foundation. And, and so it was growing, but it's, it's just started with combining something I enjoyed with doing something worthwhile for for people that needed it for, for the world. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I mean, it may take uh, some introspection, but I think most anybody, um, at least anybody who has a good heart, who wants to give back, can figure out something that they enjoy. Um, a friend of mine uh, runs this really cool uh, program here in Indianapolis where, uh, she, uh, it's changing footprints and so they they get shoes oh. and they they then give away shoes to all sorts of different organizations and groups and peoples from prisoners to school kids who I myself and other members of the BASA Foundation have taken shoes over not only to BASA but to other villages in Nepal 
and she you know like a lot of women she liked shoes absolutely (laughs) and um yeah (laughs) so and so i mean i wouldn't want to do this but she really enjoyed sorting through the donated shoes coming up with different categories so you know sport shoes uh walking shoes hiking boots uh formal shoe and so she there they have this now it's turned into a warehouse i mean it used to just be a little office um where they have thousands of pairs of shoes and of course now there are other volunteers but that you know she just she enjoyed sorting the shoes and then giving them away was almost like sort of the secondary to it Mm -hmm. but that you know this wonderful charity that has now helped people all the way around the world was started because she just enjoyed sorting through shoes. Wow. You're going to have to introduce me to her because that sounds like something I need to know about. (laughs) I I will email. I'll connect you to when we're off the air. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I was, when you were talking about that, I was thinking, uh, gosh, six, six years ago, seven years ago, uh, my husband and one of my brother-in-laws and I did a tough mutter run. And at the end of it, Um, you can take off your shoes and because you've been running through the mud and everything and your shoes are disgusting, um, but they're still good shoes. They're just dirty. Um, And uh, you know, you didn't wear your best shoes because you knew they were going to get ruined, but um, you could leave your shoes. And there was a, a, a company or, you know, a foundation also that would take them, wash them, clean them, and then donate them to people who needed them. And I was like, that's fantastic. Now that's a smart that's not only just a, a great way to give back, but it's a smart way to partner with the right organizations that will help you fulfill your mission. It was just brilliant. Plus, you know, we were pretty stinky afterwards. So I didn't think <laughs> you, you were glad to get rid of those shoes. I was like, you take those. I'm going to go stand over under that shower. And then we're all not going to talk about what happened here today and how much mud was involved. <laughs> But it is, I think you're absolutely right. You know, when you, um, when you have something you're passionate about and find ways that that passion can also help others, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, and it's, it's one of the reasons that, you know, even with the series that you were on with us in June, so important to me with travel is when you travel and you really, you know, you meet people and you are engaged with people, you learn about other cultures and their differences, but you also learn how much more alike they are. Um, than not. So you get to really absorb how we're humans to humans, not just cultures to cultures. Um, And I love the fact that what you said when you're in Basel, you were like, sometimes it feels like a small town in the Midwest because people know each other and they care about each other and they know the histories. And those are the things that really bring us together. Yeah. I I mean, uh, my great grandmother, um, who died when she was 98 and I was 17, and I've spent much of my childhood and adolescence with her. She was just this wonderful presence uh, throughout my life. And uh, when she was a young woman, um, she taught in a one-room schoolhouse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hearing stories from her about what Goshen was like uh, in, at the end of the 19th century and early 20th century, when she was young, um, it, it very much reminded me I mean, her life, I think, was very similar to what people are, uh, the way people live in Basa today. Now, I I will say that this sort of Edenic 
description I've given of the village, um, it there is real risks uh, in the sense that uh, a road has come mm. to the village uh, mm. about, let's see, four years ago now. Um, internet did come, mm -hmm. cell phones have come. And uh, my friends um, who are the, the parents and grandparents uh, of the village, are, they, they are worried about uh, you know, whether the community will continue as it has for hundreds yeah. of years because these, the kids are now being exposed to a world that is, is very different from what yeah. all of the, the, you know, for hundreds of years, those folks grew up with. And a yeah. lot of them are going to be attracted to leave the village. Some yeah. of them will stay in the village, but will want to change the village in ways that were unforeseen. Now, yeah. what I hope, and so far, from what I can tell, I, I think is a, is true, is that the fundamental values of the villagers, including the kids, have yeah. not changed. Um, and part of that is because they have such a strong tradition in what we would call a religion, but it's really, it's not a religion in the way we tend to think of religion because they don't, um, they don't have a temple. Mm -hmm. They worship outside. They're nature worshipers, mm -hmm. and they, they have some traditions in terms of ceremonies and what you do on special occasions um, that are sort of you know customs and rituals. But for mm -hmm. the most part, what it does is it gives them this wonderful attitude of because they uh, they think or believe that God is in everything and everywhere. They have this fantastical. Uh, sense of environmental responsibility. Mm -hmm. uh, far, I mean, like they were they were planting trees um, and not cutting down trees to preserve uh, the trees around their village. You know, long before our environmentalists realized how important that was, because it was just part right. of their their traditions. And so, you know, so far that attitude of environmental responsibility and the sense of community uh, is still there. And, you know, I, I, hope, I hope it stays because not only is it a wonderful thing, I think um, in terms of happiness, yes. the villagers have a very high happiness quotient. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful example to those of us who visit. And since I've been there in 2008, almost every year, um, friends of mine or people who've heard about Basa, even though it's not on a tourist trail and yeah. it's not a typical trekking stop, uh, it has become somewhat of a tourist def destination. And everybody that I've talked to, which is probably now um, well over 100 people that have been oh. there, come away. <laughs> Those people are so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we, we need to be more oh, like them. Oh, how wonderful. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful opportunity, you know, for you to be helping them and, and you know, and, and caring about their community. What a beautiful way for them to give back to you and to others and to have everyone raised higher because of the interactions. That's right. Love yeah, it. I love it.
Well, Jeff, you know, we can talk for all day. We, I think we've proven it a few times. I thought we were going to. <laughs> we probably could. At some point in time, we'll have to have dinner, but you know, we can, <laughs> we can go for a few more hours. And I know we're going to have all the, con all your contact information on our show notes, including links to your books. So, uh, but in case somebody wants to look you up right now, what's the best way for them to find you? Um, probably on my website, uh, which is my full name, Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, Raisley, R-A-S-L-E-Y.com um, or Google my name. Very good. And before we go, my friend, what are your last words of wisdom or pearls of advice? Um, my pearl of advice is find something that moves you, which will, uh, which you enjoy, but will move you to be involved with your community in a productive giving way, and it will give back to you. I love it. Jeff, as always, it is a pleasure hearing from you, learning from you and being inspired by you. Thank you so much for being my guest again. Well, thanks a lot, Michael. And I hope we'll do it a third time someday. Woohoo! Third time's a charm. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app, on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.